We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. While you're making your way there, two little boys named Kevin and Ryan were waiting for their mother to get done with breakfast, and she was preparing pancakes as the main entree. And while she was preparing the pancakes, they began bickering over who would get the first one, right? The first one that came off the griddle, uh, they wanted to make sure that they were the guy who got the first one. And so she, being a good mother, she saw this as a teaching opportunity. And she said to them, she said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin immediately turned to his younger brother, Ryan, and said, Okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> right? How about that? Humility is a trait that we can secretly desire to see in others more than we desire to see in ourselves. Is that not right? Is that not right? This is a trait, if we're not careful, we can look at others and go, you know, I really wish they were humble. I really wish they were modest, right? But really, we don't covet or desire that trait in our own lives the way that we desire to see it in others. Last week, we talked about spiritual leadership 101. And when we looked at that at a high level, what Peter was doing was painting a contrast between the prideful and arrogant approach to leadership that would have been very prevalent in the Roman Empire by pagan, wicked men. And he contrasted that with Christ-like spiritual leadership. The two are as opposite as night and day are, as east is to the west. Spiritual leadership is not easy, but please hear this. Neither is following spiritual leaders. Both leading and following are very difficult, or at least they can be. This is true. What we encounter today, though, is the trait that is essential to glorifying God in your life and following spiritual leaders properly. I mean, I, I really, I've, I've been burdened, very burdened this week about this message because when, in terms of where I believe God is taking us today, to say that it is vital for us to get this would be an understatement. I cannot stress enough, if you really want to win with God, if you want to please God, if you want to bring glory to God in your life, listen, you must fully embrace the trait of humility. You must. You cannot win with God if you're not humble. And we will see that spelled out. Here's the reality, though. The reality is our culture as we know it is absolutely obsessed with individualism. It is. And someone who is obsessed with individualism, listen, is only interested in themselves. 
They are the center of everything. They are the focus. They, it's, I mean, it is me, me. I mean, this is it. And in a culture like this that is obsessed with individualism, listen, the trait of humility is devalued, it's despised, and even mocked. Humility is weakness. Humility is you're a sucker, you're gullible, you're an idiot, you're weak. This is how the trait of humility has, this is the view of it in our American culture. And sadly, that has penetrated the church. Why is that? Because the last thing that humility concerns itself with itself. This is why it's devalued. This is why it's hated. Because humility is not concerned with self. True humility is only concerned with the glory of God and the edification of others. That's true humility. And whatever it takes to accomplish both, the humble person is willing to do that. Now, to say that this next statement is urgent, once again, we'll be putting it lightly. It's taken from Proverbs 8.13, where the Bible tells us, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Listen. Humility is a friend of God, and pride is one of his worst enemies. Humility is a friend of God, and pride is one of God's worst enemies. When you get to Proverbs chapter 6, and we read about the six things that God hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, what is the first one that is mentioned? A proud look. A proud look. What is a proud look? A proud look is a perspective of myself that is very elevated. I'm important. I'm a big deal. I should be first. I should be consulted. I should be considered. God says, I hate that. Humility is a friend of God and pride, one of his worst enemies. It would be wonderful. It would be wonderful if at salvation, just salvation alone, all forms of pride was completely erased from us. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not reality, is it? And someone can be saved and yet full of pride and arrogance. This is true. We see it in the Word of God. And while they are not God's enemy positionally, their pride and arrogance places distance between him and them. And listen, this is what you got to understand about pride, okay? If you are given to it, This is what it does every time. If you are given to pride, 
Pride always moves God to move against you. Pride moves God to move against you. This is true. When we talk about pride, though, the reality is subconsciously, listen, many of us assume that God is talking to someone else. Or God is, or we've got somebody else in mind, somebody across the room, or, or somebody across the street, or somebody across the pew. And when we assume that God has someone else in mind on this topic of pride, here's another deadly assumption. We assume now that, guess what? I'm humble. Because if, if, if God's not talking to me about pride, and he's talking to Jonathan about pride, he's talking to Guy about pride, he's not talking to me about it because I'm humble. This is not a struggle for me. Very dangerous. We're not going to assume today. We're going to come face to face with what the Bible presents about biblical humility And then we can see what the Holy Spirit reveals to us about is God talking to someone else across the room or is he really talking to me? So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So this, this statement or this word, likewise, it links the preceding thought or the preceding discussion, which was spiritual leadership. So he's connecting those two, except the focus now is not on leadership. The focus now is on following leadership. This is where we are now. And what we see immediately is that humility is essential to following. You cannot and you will not follow if you are not humble. And here's what we see first about the humble. Humble believers are subordinate to spiritual authority. And just even saying that, I, there's a part of me that it's, it's uncomfortable. Because it can have a, an element of, well, that's self-serving. That's convenient for you. You're a pastor. Of course you want to say that. Okay, let, can we just be honest for a moment? Did I say that, or is that what this is saying? The, I, I didn't write this. Okay? I, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. It's here. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, Peter here probably had in mind those who are over us spiritually and those who are older than us chronologically. Okay? There's an application to both. But to both, we have a responsibility before the Lord to subordinate ourselves to them. Submit and listen. I'm afraid that this whole concept, this whole conversation about subordination to spiritual authority in any capacity 
has become a nasty thought, a very unwelcome concept. We can find ourselves put off by it. Like, I don't want that. I, I don't want to be under anybody. I don't want to have to answer to anyone. I don't, I, I don't, want, any, no, I don't want any part of that. Well, let's just take that thought. Let's just, keep, let's, just, let's just keep carrying that. Would you be okay with your children taking that position? I, I just don't want to answer to you. I, I don't want you over me. I don't want you in my business. I don't want you in my life. I don't want you telling me what to do. Is that okay? If you're a manager in the workplace, is that okay? That those who are under you, those who should be subordinate to you, is it okay for them? You know what? I'll come to work whenever I want to. Is that, is that okay? <laughs> of course not. We have to be careful. But you know what? When it comes to this whole conversation about spiritual authority and our submission to it, there, there are two things I've noticed. And there's more, but just two for the sake of this, 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 this message today. The first one is just how much attention the Bible gives to it. Old Testament, New Testament, God gives a lot of attention to this issue of spiritual authority. In the book of 1 Peter alone, there's a lot of attention given to it. Which means it carries a lot of weight with God. And if it carries a lot of weight with God, if you're going to be right with him, it must carry a lot of weight with you. Which leads to the second observation, which is not healthy. Many believers are fine with simply acknowledging it. Yeah, I know the Bible says that. I know the Bible teaches that. I know that's in there. And I've even taught it myself. But I don't actually live it. I don't subordinate myself to those who are over me in the Lord. But I know it's in there. I know I should. But whenever I'm unhappy with them, whenever I'm frustrated with them, whenever I don't like something they've done, you know what I do? I badmouth them. I harbor bitterness in my heart toward them. I outright rebel against them. And I tell myself, I'm okay to do that because I'm mad. Please hear me. God is in absolute disagreement with you when you do that. Totally. He's not okay with it. Unequivocally, here's where God stands. And I want you to notice and focus very clearly on this word obey. Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed. So this is Paul, their spiritual father. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for, work out. Different conversation. Second Thessalonians 3.14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Hebrews 13.17, Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, 
for that is unprofitable for you. Brothers and sisters, rebellion to spiritual authority is not only grievous to the Lord, it is unprofitable for you. You don't win. You don't move forward. You don't grow any more than it is profitable for your children when they rebel against you. When we were in the thick of it in terms of training our children and the way they should go in those very uh, critical early training years, we wanted them to learn that at the moment you rebel against us, everything stops. All forward progress, all blessings, all joy, all peace, all happiness, all goodness is frozen. We will absolutely, we cannot and we will not move forward until you humble yourself and you repent of this rebellion. And once we have that, God is glorified and now we can move forward. Rebellion is not profitable for you. We're going to teach you it's very unprofitable. Why? Because we want them to learn that and, 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 and make sure that they understand that as they manage their own relationship with God because the same is true. The moment they turn against God, everything freezes. Everything stops. This is the truth. Now, if this is where God stands with respect to what we've seen in these verses, then you need to hear this, and so do I. Rebellion to spiritual authority is rebellion against God and manifests pride and immaturity. Those are always the manifestations of rebellion to spiritual authority. It just shows that we're full of pride and spiritually, we're very immature. Because God has shown us his word. God has shown us his position on spiritual authority. And we're going to rebel against that? And think somehow we're going to win? Somehow we're going to move forward? Somehow God's going to be pleased with that? No way. Listen, rebellion against spiritual authority is a declaration that we are not humble. It is a bold declaration that we are not humble. And I get it. Those who are over us spiritually or even chronologically, I get it. They're not perfect. <laughs> but if I can, can, can I break something to you? Neither are you. Neither are you. As a matter of fact, you are as far from perfection as they are. Please, perfection in leaders is not a prerequisite for subordination. Neither is agreement. So in order for me to subordinate myself to those who are over me, I have to like the decision that they're making. I have to agree with them, and if I don't, then now that gives me the right to be very difficult, to throw a fit, 
to murmur, to whine, to fight, to attack, because I didn't get my way. King Saul was as imperfect of a leader as you'll ever find, correct? But David was very careful not to rebel against him. Why? Because no matter how crazy Saul was, what was David's position? That's the Lord's anointed. That's God's man. And it's not my place to deal with him any way I want to. That's God's man. God will deal with him. That's humility. And humble people do not rebel against God-ordained authority. They will not do it. Even if that guy or that person is 100% dead wrong, they're not going to rebel and war with that person. They will pray for them. They will, tur- they will give them to the Lord. They will guard their heart. They will guard their speech. They will guard their thoughts. Why? Because they understand that every word, every thought that they have toward that leader, God is paying attention to. Ask Miriam and Aaron. God says, why were you so reckless? Why were you so loose with your speech? Why are you just so free to just go after them like that? Don't you know who they are? Be careful. Once again, well, that's self-serving for you. Okay, let's, let's look at it in the parental context. What, what value does God place on children honoring their mother and their father? God places such a high premium on it that God attaches their quality and longevity of life to it. God says, you disobey, you dishonor your parents. God says, and you think you're going to move forward with me with that? God says, I will shave years off of your life. God says, I will make your life miserable at best if you do that. Guys, God does not play nor does he negotiate when it comes to spiritual authority. Peter goes on to say in verse 5, Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Humble believers are subservient to the spiritual body. They are. The word subservient is related to the word servant. You can see it there. And it refers to serving in a subordinate way to promote an end. What is that end that is trying to promote? The end that is trying to promote is glorifying God and edifying others. That's what is trying to, that's the aim, that's the focus. Humble people, listen, humble people. Do not submit to those who are over them in the Lord and then run roughshod to those who are not. So I'll submit to my pastor. But Mark, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steamroll him. He's not over me. 
you know, Mama Mary, I know she's a nice, sweet woman, but you know what? She better not cross me because if she does, I'm coming for her. No, that is not God's heart. That is not God's word. That's not being subservient. To the humble, listen, there is not a scenario where pride is acceptable. To the humble, to those who are genuinely humble, they cannot give you a scenario where it is okay for them to act out of a place of pride. They are subordinate to those who are over them and subservient to those who are not. By the way, by the way, this is a clear and simple formula for an outstanding marriage. This very, this very thing right here. A wife needs to be subordinate to her husband, and together they must be subservient to one another. man, that, that, that works. That works. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul articulated. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. There is a mutual submission that must occur and does occur in healthy marriages. Yes, I am over Lori and the Lord as her husband, but I also submit to my wife. There are decisions that Lori makes. There are, I mean, and yeah, you know what? That, that sounds great. We should do that. We're in the process of working through college with Ken and college visits, and it's not, well, hey, I'm the father, I'm the head of this house, and this is what I think. It's, what do you think? Where are you at? What's your heart? What are your thoughts? I want to know. This is a decision that we're going to trust the Lord to make together as a family, even with Ken. Listen, this is your life, right? You, you've got to say, of course you do. Talk to us. What are you thinking? Where are you at? We're all submitting to each other. Does that make sense? I hope this makes sense. Subservient cultures can bring glory to God and live the Great Commission. As a matter of fact, if we're going to live the Great Commission, if we're going to win people to Christ, if we're going to make disciples, if we're going to touch this world with the gospel and the word of God, we have to be a subservient culture. We can't do it otherwise. Consider Galatians 5.15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So here's the question. How can we bring glory to God and live the Great Commission if we're biting and devouring and consuming one another? Can't, and we won't. Because we're too distracted with conflict. We're fighting. We're biting. We're devouring. We're consuming. We're at war. It is amazing how, as believers, we give place to the devil so often in this area. The Bible tells us very clearly in Ephesians chapter 6, who are we wrestling with? Is it flesh and blood? 
We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, are we? No, our, 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 our wrestling match, our struggle is with Satan and his forces, not each other. Let me just say this. This is not a message about marriage while we're here. Let me go, let me go there very quickly. Listen, one of the ways that you know you've given place to the devil in your marriage is you have an adversarial view against your spouse. You see them as an adversary. But that's not your adversary. We're going to see next week from right here in 1 Peter chapter 5, we have a clear adversary, and his name is the devil, not Lori Morgan. Lori Morgan is not my adversary. She is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She is as much me as I am me. So fighting and warring against her makes as much sense as fighting and warring against myself. This is a waste of time. The last thing I want to... Listen, we don't have a perfect marriage, but I will say this. By the grace of God, for the glory of God, we have a very good marriage. We love each other, and we love being together. We love dwelling together I love being at home. I love just having Lori in the room. We don't have to talk. I just love having her around. I love lying in bed and having her next to me every night. You know why? So let me just say this, and I'll get back on track. The reason, one of the reasons for that is because we both treasure peace. We treasure unity. We treasure harmony. We treasure joy. We treasure enjoyment. The last thing I want to do is fight with her. I loathe it. Like it's nauseating. And so these little things that, I mean, these things are so little. It's like, you know what? That's not worth it. That's not worth the disruption of what we have. You know what? And, and I know she does the same thing. You know what? Praise the Lord. I'll just take care of that. And I, want, I don't have to say anything. Because I just, I just want to be with her. But cultures where there's just constant fighting and warring, they don't live the Great Commission. They do the opposite. They grieve the Spirit of God and accomplish nothing in the mission of God. The devil's good. And he knows how to get us tripped up and pit us against each other. And he goes, you guys just keep doing that. You guys just keep going back and forth and fighting and warring as long as you're not preaching the gospel, making disciples, and touching the world for Christ. So keep biting, keep devouring, keep consuming. Great. And, I, and I'll keep feeding the fire. Life Fellowship, listen, I am pleading with you <laughs> with everything in my heart. I'm pleading with you to not just hear this, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking for the glory of God. I'm asking for absolute full buy-in here, starting with me. 
Life fellowship wins if we maintain a posture of humility with one another. We win. If we maintain a posture of humility with one another, brothers and sisters, we cannot lose. We can. But the moment we embrace a posture of pride, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We're in trouble with God and we're in trouble with one another. Listen, when we embrace a posture of humility, this means that, listen, we consciously choose to be humble. Humility is always a decision. It's a choice we make. And if we do that, this will be a fellowship that yields great glory to God and bears much fruit for his glory. But here's the key to embracing a posture of humility. Look at verse 5. And be clothed with humility. Listen. Humble believers are shod with self-abasement. Humble believers are shod with self-abasement. This is at the heart of genuine humility. Self-abasement refers to the humiliation of self. And I'm not talking about uh, self-degradation, which is a false humility. I'm not referring to that whatsoever. What we're talking about here, if you, if you, you look at this word humiliation, you can clearly see a semblance of the word what? Humble there. You know, when Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, even to the death of the cross, you know what he did? He humiliated himself. Was he not publicly humiliated? Yeah, he was. Please, being shod with self-abasement is the act of abasing pride and being lowly of mind. This is very deliberate. It's very deliberate, and it is done by someone who loves God and is only concerned with pleasing Him. And because they are, they abase themselves of pride, and they lower themselves in their mind. They are not special. They are not owed anything. They are not entitled to anything. They have no expectations except to serve, not be served. Now, it's very urgent that we hear this. If you do not abase pride in your life and become lowly in mind, God will do it for you. God will do it for you. Spurgeon said, and he was right, every Christian has the choice 
to be humble or to be humbled. Either way, it's going down. I highly recommend we choose to be humble. I do not recommend God having to humble us. Daniel 4.37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. King Nebuchadnezzar learned this lesson firsthand, did he not? Because prior to this, in his mind, he was something. And God brought him to nothing. I'm telling you, pride is one of God's worst enemies. Would you notice? Because listen, I want you to understand this, okay? I do. I really want you to, and, and, and trust me, I'm talking to me too, right? Listen, pride captures God's undivided attention in your life. If you are given to pride, I promise you, you have God's undivided attention. He sees it. He sees it. He's paying attention to it. And he's not pleased. Notice right here in this verse, for God does what with the proud? For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. God says, you stand before me, you try and approach me in pride. <laughs> Resistance. Remember, humility is God's friend. Pride is not. Giving grace to the humble implies that God favors and blesses them. But resisting the proud means that God essentially turns them over to reap the sowing of their pride, which is bitter and ultimately very miserable. Sometimes believers get frustrated when they're trying to pray, and it seems like heaven is closed. Well, they try and open God's word, and they try and read, and it's like, man, I can't get anything out of it. I feel like this book is as dead as this pulpit here. I hear other people talk about reading God's word, and they get all these wonderful things, and it somehow it changes their life. But when I go, I read, I, I, I can't hear anything. You know why that is? God says, you're trying to approach me in prayer, and you're trying to approach my word so that you can glean something. But God says, the problem is you're coming to me and your heart is full of nothing but vitriol pride and stubbornness and rebellion. And even if I did give you something wonderful, you would disobey it eventually. God says, I can't even stomach your prayers because they're seasoned with your pride. Brothers and sisters, with everything in me, God 
absolutely hates pride. He hates it. As much as he loves you, he absolutely loathes and despises and has a holy disdain for that rod of pride in your heart and in your mind. And as long as you try and approach him with it, he is going to resist you. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble believers are surrendered to the sovereign. This is a beautiful contrast. God resists the proud, but you know what? The humble do not resist him, do they? That's beautiful. See, the humble recognize that he is sovereign. That is, he is supreme in power. They know that. So I'm not going to resist him. That's foolish. Daniel 4.35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Yes, that includes you and that includes me. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Nebuchadnezzar learned this. And this flies in the face of our American culture that constantly whispers to us all be something, you are something. Achieve. Make a name for yourself. Become something. Again, individualism. The world whispers, hey, you are something, or if you're not, you can become something. But the Bible says we are all reputed as nothing. This is the issue with pride. Because the issue with pride, the message that it sends is that you are something. And because you are something, you have the right to speak up and speak out when you're violated. When you don't get your way. When you don't agree. When you feel like something has, is working against you. You know what? Man, you stand up for yourself. You speak up for yourself and all of that. Man, I'm reputed as nothing. Listen, guys, I'm not reading that press. The devil will sell you that newspaper every day if you'll buy it. And that newspaper is telling you how, how big deal you are, and you're so special, and you're so this, and you are owed that, entitled this. Listen, what moves us to shot ourselves with self-abasement and surrender to the sovereign is realizing that we're nothing. And I mean genuinely realizing that and being at peace with that. The psalmist said it well. The psalmist said it perfectly. What is man that thou art mindful of him? 
God, who am I? Who am I that I'm worth your attention? (laughs) Who am I? Some have not made peace with that. Listen, humble believers have a right view of themselves because they have a right view of God. You will never see yourself right until you see God right. When you see God right, listen, when you come face to face with the God of the Bible, not the God of culture, or not the God of your mind, the God that you have manufactured, when you come face to face with the God of the Bible, you come face to face with you. And the reckoning that is done is you are everything and I'm nothing. And just so we're clear, I'm so good with that. (laughs) Anyone who is not clothed with humility and humbled under the mighty hand of God does not see him right because if they did, they would hate pride. I mean hate it. Because humble believers have a right view of God, I want to give you two things as we close. They humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Please, I beg you, we all must understand that pride attacks the sovereignty of God. Pride attacks the sovereignty of God. God is the supreme ruler, correct? God is supreme in power, correct? Pride says no. Isaiah 14, 13, and 14, speaking of Lucifer, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Pride says, God, I'm coming for your sovereignty. I am coming to dethrone you. I will be supreme in power. I will be the supreme ruler. I will rule my life. Not you. Listen, pride in our lives, boy, promotes a satanic agenda against God. When you embrace pride into your life, you essentially invite God to a duel. You essentially declare war on God. And God will work with you. God will use his word. God will use people. God will do everything he can to bring you to a place of conviction Repentance and confession. But if you say no, God says, okay, I will take the invitation and you will lose decisively. Decisively. Next, look at verse 7. Casting all our care upon him, for he careth for you. See, because humble believers recognize that God is supreme in power, you know what they do? They take everything to him in prayer by faith. 
They don't believe they can handle it. They don't believe they're capable. You know why? Because they, they have also reputed themselves as nothing. God, there's nothing I can handle in my life. I need you for everything. We saw that yesterday. Ken had a, a cross-country meet. And I'll just tell you, God is so good to us. God is so good to us. He is so good to us. He had an exercise-induced asthma attack. I was standing there, and uh, I was waiting for him to, to cross the finish line, and I'm watching all the runners go, and I see it's, it's, they're all gone. I'm like, I, I know my son. I, didn't, I can't miss my son. And sure enough, I see the cart riding by, and he's on the back, on the back of the cart, and he looks awful. He overexerted himself. He competed really hard. This is a tough course in Lawrence. It's very hilly, and he just overexerted himself. And Ken could have died yesterday. I'm not exaggerating. But God, you understand? Listen, I, listen I'm weak. I, 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 I can't. The Lord took care of our son. And I'm so glad that he did. You're right. I mean, I, what else am I to do except humble myself under him and say, God, thank you. I need you. I recognize that you are everything that I'm not. I recognize that you've got everything I don't. And so I, I trust you with everything. I can't fix it. I can't solve it. I'm not in control. I don't have all the answers. God, I am limited at best, but you are unlimited. So why would I ever war with you? The humble have a great confidence in him, not them. Listen, a veiled form of pride is attempting to handle things on our own. That is a veiled form of pride. I got it, God. I don't need your help. I'm not going to cast this on you. I got it. Do you understand? As great and as awesome and as mighty and as incredible as he is, do you understand he cares for you? You know what? God cares for my son. He cares for my son. He cares for my family. So I cast it all on him. A lack of faith and prayer in times of need is rooted in pride. Brothers and sisters, as I wrap up, as long as we maintain a posture of pride before God, we're going to walk into the face of a very stiff wind of resistance in life. So when we look at the portrait of the humble, we see that they are subordinate to spiritual authority, subservient to the spiritual body, shod with self-abasement, and surrendered to the sovereign. Here's the question. Is that you? 
In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your word. I do pray that it won't return void. Amen.